I think it's really important to be completely radically honest about the shit you're not good at. Like, radically honest. And know that it does not make you look weak or in any way deficient to say to a team of people around you or someone reporting to you or someone you're hiring, I am bad at this, I'm going to forget this, and you cannot hesitate to remind me that I owe you something, to re-email me something that I haven't responded to. I think radical honesty about what you're not good at is important. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Isaac Butler. And I'm your other host, June Thomas. June, this is normally the part of the show where I ask you, whose voice is that we heard at the top of the show? But honestly, (laughs) I think our guest this week would be offended if I didn't (laughs) recognize her voice, as we are friends and have co-hosted podcasts together in the past. This week's guest is, of course, podcasting impresario, living legend, (laughs) Rebecca Lavoie. What can you tell our listeners about Rebecca's work? Yes, Rebecca is Definitely a friend of Slate Podcasts, bosom buddy, really. And she was a host of Mom and Dad of Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast, for several years. And she still pops up there on another Slate shows from time to time. But outside of Slate, she has a big deal job at New Hampshire Public Radio. And then I'm making really big scare quotes on the side. She and her husband, Kevin Flynn, make a boatload of podcasts. I won't go into details because Rebecca lists those projects early in our conversation, but it is a lot. (laughs) A boatload is a very accurate way of putting it, June. And our Slate Plus subscribers get a little something extra this week, right? They do. I asked Rebecca about two topics that I know she has very strong opinions about, the misogyny that surrounds the true crime genre and how she deals with negative listener feedback about things like her voice or the fact that she has the temerity to laugh while recording her very funny podcast. Well, I have the temerity to laugh (laughs) when recording this podcast, so I look forward to hearing her on that subject. And listeners, if you want to hear her on that subject, you should go ahead and subscribe to Slate Plus. In fact, I have a special announcement for you today. This year marks the 25th anniversary of Slate. And for a limited time only, we're offering our annual Slate Plus membership at $25 off. As a member, you'll get no ads on any of our podcasts, unlimited reading on the Slate website, member-exclusive episodes and segments from us and other shows like Culture Gab Fest and Amicus. For the last quarter century, Slate podcasts have been covering all the major news events, from elections to social issues to historic court decisions. Our culture shows have debated if that thing you love is sexist. We've named the best summer songs. We've explained the latest TikTok trends. If we've become a part of your listening routines, we ask that you support our work by joining Slate Plus. Sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash working plus to keep us going for another 25 years. Again, we're giving you $25 off an annual membership through October 31st. So sign up today at slate.com slash working plus. All right, let's hear June's conversation with Rebecca Lavoie.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rebecca Lavoie, thank you for joining me on Working. Thank you so much for having me. I usually begin these interviews by saying, who are you and what do you do? But you're a longtime member of the Slate podcast family. You were one of the hosts of Mom and Dad are Fighting for several years, and you were recently on a fantastic episode of The Waves, one of the best so far. So I'm sure your voice will be familiar to many listeners. But we're not going to talk about those things today. We're going to talk about your side hustle as a podcast producer. First of all, do you see it as a side hustle? Yes and no. (laughs) It is a side hustle that is more lucrative than my main hustle. So I don't know how one would categorize that. What do you think? Wow. So your day job is your side hustle. Yeah, kind (laughs) of. So actually, so tell us, what do you do for your day job? I work at New Hampshire Public Radio. So I work in public media and I've had a bunch of jobs there. But right now my job is I am overseeing the podcast unit there. Um, There's been some recent attrition at my company and that job became available and I volunteered to do it because it seemed like a good fit. What do you think? It seems like a good fit, right? It's like a pretty good fit. Yeah, yeah, pretty good fit. And New Hampshire Public Radio, for anyone who doesn't know, is one of the most productive public radio networks as far as really good podcasts. Fairbrook, the one about the the first in the nation. Yes, Stranglehold. Very, very highly recommend listening to that one. It's pretty fun. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. Okay. So you do that at work. Yes. In the day. Yes. I guess. Yes. And then after you've left your day job, what do you do? And who do you do it with? So I host and produce a show called Crime Writers On, which is a panel show on which we criticize and lovingly talk about true crime and true crime adjacent media, other podcasts, television shows, documentaries, etc. I also co-host a show called These Are Their Stories, a Law and Order podcast, on which you have been a guest several times. These are their stories. (laughs) Which is a comedic take on Law and Order, SVU, and the real-life crimes that inspire some of their episodes. Hosted by and produced by my husband, Kevin Flynn, who is mostly my production partner in all things that we do. I also host a podcast for Netflix called You Can't Make This Up, in which I interview mostly directors of documentaries on their service. And I produce a show called Undisclosed, which is a show that's been downloaded something like half a billion times, which is a show at which they look at wrongful convictions from a legal point of view and sort of take apart the cases around people who've been wrongfully convicted. And then I also do some production and editing consulting work. I just wrapped up some work on an upcoming series coming out from Audible, and I help people fix their scripts, structure their stories, kind of putting my criticism chops to use in telling people how not to make a crappy podcast. (laughs) You know, I knew about most of that, but when you said it just now, 
I'm a little bit slack jawed. I finally know what that means. Like <laughs> that is a lot of work. It's a lot of work. <laughs> so like you obviously keep adding things, you know, not all of these things started on the same day. Right. What's going on with that? Well, some of this stuff can be, for lack of a better word, outsourced. I mean, so for the crime writers, I used to do the show Soup to Nuts. I used to write the script for it. I used to do the entire edit, start to finish, line edit, take the raw tape, sync the raw tape of the four of us, do the first cut, then do the mixing, cut all the clips. Now I actually have hired someone to do sort of the first pass cut and I just do the final mix, mix in the clips and just give it like the final ear thing. So Mm. that part is outsourced as is, by the way, the script writing, the sort of executive production and the social media and all that stuff. Kevin, my husband, quit his job in February of 2020. Uh, nicely <laughs> what timed. What a great time to quit a job. <laughs> yes, he quit his day job and he works full time for our company. So he actually makes it possible mm-hmm. in a lot of unseen ways for me to do what really is kind of being narrowed down to talent stuff, high-end production stuff, mm-hmm. like sort of high-level production and editing stuff, and, you know, the kind of consulting work where I get to be like the talking brain in the room, which is mm-hmm. sort of my biggest area of expertise. So he really <laughs> makes it possible for me to say yes to things in a way that it was becoming more difficult to. And it's hard, you know, I have three kids in college, you know, it is really hard to say no When someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I will pay you X to do this thing that A, I love doing and B, I'm good at, it's really hard to say no. And so him being able to support me so I can do it has been huge, huge for us. That's amazing. And actually, you know, it's funny, I am reminded, uh, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and especially in the kind of productivity area, a lot of these guys, they're mostly guys, eventually kind of end up becoming consultants. And one of the things they say is, how much do you earn from doing this thing? How much would you need to pay somebody? If that's a good enough differential, do it. So like the things that you're talking about, although you're talking about so much more, are kind of reminding me of something that feels like it's very much front and center in that YouTube world. But it's actually the first time I've ever heard anyone talk about you can hire somebody to to do certain parts of things. You can. You can. I mean, I am a perfectionist in terms of the way crime writers on sounds, right? So I will never give up the final edit and the final mix. So I get my tape back from my producer who's really young. I mean, she's like 21 years old and she's really good. Mm-hmm. And it's not perfect. And I'm fine mm-hmm. with that because I know that I'm going to go in there and make it pretty good. The one job that I do that does not pay well and that is not like a high ROI job is the work for Undisclosed. That is because I really, really enjoy being part of something that is bigger than just like an entertainment or money making enterprise. Like they've gotten like help to get 11 people or 12 people out of prison. (laughs) So the, you know, the idea of making it's it's not bad money. It's like, you know, 50 or 60 bucks an hour, whatever ends up being over time doing that, you know, which is what I pay other people to edit tape for me is completely worth it to me because I get to kind of be attached to this thing that is just a lot bigger and more important really than anything else that I could possibly do. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) Let's talk about the creative process since that is what working is about. I'd love to talk about these are their stories because as you said, I've been on the show a couple of times and so it's the one I'm most intimately familiar with. And it's also a show that I love and listen to like Law and Order. It's like a reliable source of entertainment that I always know I can turn to when I just kind of need something to perk me up. 
So highly recommend for anybody who has not listened. How long have you been doing the show and what made you think about starting doing it? That show, I believe, is six years old. It could be off by half a year or so. That really came about when crime writers kind of took off. When we were started making crime writers on, we really had no idea people were listening to the show because we weren't hosting our audio like on an audio host. We were hosting it on a Squarespace website. And then as soon as I moved it to an audio host, I was like, oh my God, people are actually listening to the show. And so we immediately thought, can we make something else that's kind of in line with this mm. that would be a relatively low lift, maybe not having a whole panel that we have to assemble every week because that's logistically kind of a lift. And maybe that only one of us could primarily work on so that it wouldn't be, you know, both of us have to be in it all the time. So I am was primarily the huge Law & Order and SVU fan. So it was my idea. Why don't we do something around Law & Order and SVU? Everybody watches it, whether they know it or not. You know, As we've discovered, people don't think they watch it, but they actually do. And why don't we focus on the ones that have real cases in them? They're from the headlines. That sort of ties into our true crime brand kind of thing. Kevin and I used to write true crime books together. So that's why we kind of have landed on this brand. That is kind of how it was born. And it started out much more earnest than it is now. It started out, you know, we have special guests on. Frankly, we try to pick people who own microphones. That's like <laughs> the number one criteria is if you have a podcast or own something that kind of seems like a microphone, like you're already halfway there to be on that show. We also try to pick people who are funny, who have a demonstrated ability to be funny, even on Twitter or something. And over time, it just became clear that, the show is really a forum for Kevin to be funny and tell jokes and, and write jokes because <laughs> right, right. he really is extremely funny. And he used mm -hmm. to be a TV reporter. And when he was a reporter, he was a straight general assignment reporter. But he also got to be like on a magazine show, like a local show called Chronicle, where he would do like these hilarious stories. And mm -hmm. so the show really became and we made the very conscious decision like this is the showcase for you to be funny and interact with funny people. So it really pivoted way more to... You know, we get into the earnest true crime stuff kind of near the end, but it really is more exactly what you described it as. It's an entertainment, lighthearted, comedic take on the absurdity of the Dick Wolf universe. Right. That's what we strive for when we make that show. So how do you prepare for an episode? I watch the episode of Law & Order or SVU, Criminal Intent, and take ridiculously stupid notes. So I don't take notes like this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. I take notes like she's wearing a stupid red sweater. She's pointing at the window. She's folding that sweater while she's talking to the cops. Oh God, why won't she stop folding that sweater while she's talking to the cops? Well, that doorman looks like an actual doorman, not like an actor playing a doorman. So I try to take notes on the very like observational kinds of things that I know that I'm going to want to talk about on the show. Kevin takes much more detailed notes on both plot and those things. Mm -hmm. And then he goes in and then writes basically a whole fully fleshed out script. I mean, that that show is much more scripted than Crime Writers. And he has to write like a funny recap of the first half, a funny recap yeah. of the second half. And a lot of his questions, if you listen to the show, folks out there, a lot of those questions aren't really questions. It's just like a joke that he's throwing out into the world that then his guests have to respond to. So it's a tremendous amount of prep for him. And for me, yeah. like, I'm very lucky. I get to watch the show and just be like, wow, Stabler looks hot in those pants. That's... <laughs> 
That's 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 my Which, take. I mean, although honestly, you you know me, Kinsey Six, and yet I have to agree. <laughs> it always looks hot in his bath. Like, what is that? Come on. But you know that that show probably has the most. We've done the most with creative flourishes with that show. Like we are always developing new jingles for it. Well, let's get to our Hey, It's That Girl. Hey, it's that girl. New kind of sound elements. So we get to see someone before they were famous. Before they were famous. It's kind of like, you know, the junk drawer you have in your kitchen. Like everyone (laughs) has one. That show is our audio junk drawer. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we could get somebody who could imitate Kermit the Frog doing something on one of our shows. So we have a super amateur barbershop women's quartet doing a jingle on the show. We hired my incredibly talented friend Taylor to do what I think is the best theme song in podcasting. It is amazing. Period. I can't stop singing it. I've yeah. already sung it twice today. Yeah. yeah. Incredible earworm. Because like, the one thing I knew is I was like, I want an earworm theme song for this show period. Like if we get nothing Mm -hmm. else, I want a theme song that transcends the quality of the podcast. So that show really is our chance to do, you know, something that we might not do on Crime Writers or something that, you know, I can't do on the Netflix show. Like we're going to try it on that show. And if it doesn't work, you know, we won't do it again, but very often like those things just become legacy bits. And so especially if we have a guest that really falls flat, you'll just hear like a lot of tricks and all the junk coming out of the the junk drawer of of that podcast. I got to go re-listen and see how much junk I got in my episodes. And that's another show where you have kind of outsourcing some of the elements, right? Just to get a different voice, to get a different sound. Can you talk about that a bit? Sure. So we decided at the beginning that for the last part of the show where we talk about the true crime that the, you know, the episode of Law and Order SVU is based on, that's the only criteria for which episode we do. We have no criteria at all. They are completely out of order. Sometimes we pick an episode based on who our guest is going to be. Like if we know that our guest likes a particular episode or if it just seems like a good fit. But we decided when we were more earnest that we, instead of just like saying what the crime was the show was based on that we wanted a professional newsreader to, to read a recap of the real crime and we wanted someone who didn't sound like us or sound like maybe even Americans. So we hired this professional British newsreader, voiceover actor named Cy Freider, who is super serious and does like documentary work and like real voiceover stuff in England to do it. So Kevin writes very often these very absurd scripts and sends them to Sai about these sometimes very violent, difficult crimes. And Sai reads them very straight. <laughs> Kevin, after a couple of months of listening to Sai, decided to include a lot of words that are just pronounced completely differently <laughs> uh, with a British accent. Like, I always love hate y'all. Yes. Controversy makes it in there a lot, <laughs> like all that stuff. And so that's outsourced. And frankly, it's Sai, even though he's a professional guy who gets plenty of work, he's still on Fiverr. We pay him like 20 bucks for every episode. I don't know how that works. But yeah, a lot of our elements are actually outsourced through Fiverr, like very inexpensive. And a lot of really high quality people are out there for the hiring people who are new in their career, people who just looking for an opportunity to get their voice on things. So that's something that we also do to not have to do everything ourselves. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it 
makes the show sound more interesting too. Yeah, a little variety, you know. (laughs) Listeners, we want to hear from you. Whether it's to ask us for advice on a creative problem or tell us a guest you'd like to hear on the show or share your own creative triumphs, drop us a line at workingatslate.com or give us a ring at 304-933-WORK. And if you're enjoying this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Working wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back with more of June's conversation with Rebecca Lavoie after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Now let's return to June's conversation with Rebecca Lavoie. So which is bigger? Crime Writers On or These Are Their Stories? Crime Writers On is bigger by a lot. And I, by as, a lot. And I have to tell you, I don't think it should be. I think that These Are Their Stories has the potential to be a hit show. I've always thought that. I've always thought that if we got some sort of windfall, like if I was going to make one big like marketing investment as one thing we did, it would be These Are Their Stories. I just think it has a tremendous amount of potential. People love coming on the show. Like we get you. We have Big Ron comes on our show. Big Ron is Ronald Young Jr. He's like one of my all-time favorite guests. We had Charlie Pierce on our show a few weeks ago. Like we get really, really incredible guests and it's fun to do and it's kind of timeless. So yeah, I am always surprised that it's not more of a hit than it is. So is the way you prepare for the two shows, Crime Writers On and These Are Their Stories, like massively different? Yes. So how do you (laughs) prepare? (laughs) So how do you prepare for Crime Writers On? Okay, so for Crime Writers On, our script is just a template. So Crime Writers On is anchored by me. Like, I am basically the show for Crime Writers On. So our script is essentially the same every time. There's an intro, and the only thing that changes is the introduction of the two topics we're doing. So it's always the same. And then I introduce Lara, Toby, and Kevin, who are the other panelists on the show. We have a little chit-chat sometimes about something. It's not scripted ever. Toby, Lara, and Kevin submit bullet points of their feedback. And then on the fly, I basically ask them questions based on their bullets. So that's how we do that show. And that's it. <laughs> that's it's really it. I am so much better with extemporaneous mm. questioning and interviewing than I am on script. We used to do a scripted show and it was not nearly as mm. good. It was harder to edit. And I am just much happier making it than I used to be. Interesting. Another part of this is that podcasts, which, I mean, I am now looking at you on Zoom and seeing your fancy-ass studio. That it's a closet, in. June. It's a closet. It just looks, it looks fancy. like a fancy-ass studio. That's because there's a light behind me that I got from Home Depot. It makes it look <laughs> really nice. <laughs> I, 
actually even more if it's your closet like you have the means to make shows that don't sound any different from well slates or or npr's podcasts they sound different in their tone than npr's perhaps but you know this is a moment of democratization and you guys have ads post red ads that interrupt the show very much like the ones that listeners who aren't members of slate plus will hear me reading on this show is getting those ads part of the creative process in partners in crime does this seem to you to be this magical moment of democratization or has that moment passed a little bit Here's the thing that I've learned, and I, it's, it's becoming more and more and more true. There are so many ways to make money in podcasting. It is not just about ads. I mean, that was like the holy grail thing like a couple of years ago. It was like, if you have ads, like that's how you make a living. But now there are so many platforms that are doing, you know, sort of electronically inserted ads, or they're bundling a bunch of shows together and selling campaigns and being like, hey, Casper Mattress, if you buy a million impressions, we'll spread them across like these 50 shows. And so as a creator, even with a tiny podcast, you can make like 300 bucks a month or whatever on your show. So it's, it's the ad game is like just a little bit different now. And so it is more democratic, but it's also not the road to riches that it used to be. Like it's not the bulk of our income anymore ads. It's a slice of our revenue pie. Like I think the one thing that we did that was smart when we started was I, I knew from the beginning, and maybe this is like the public radio in me, like that we had to have a diverse revenue pie, <laughs> which is why from the beginning, I was always like, we're always going to do some sort of production services because there's money to be made there in the audio editing business and the consulting business in the editing business. And then also we do membership. We do Patreon, which, you know, oh. our Patreon membership and our ad revenue are like almost the same. So that's kind of good. But there's also talent potential, you know, booking talent potential, which is a huge piece of revenue pie now. And the other thing that's new that's emerging that a lot of people are jumping on, I have really weird feelings about it because a lot of people who are jumping on it should deserve it. Like I have a lot of friends who've been in podcasting who like good for them, like the sort of IP train, like they're selling the thing they make to, you know, film and television where they're getting opportunities to do live shows. And there's a lot of money to be made there. There are a lot of ways to make money. And oh, one more huge way to make money. If somebody's out there and they're a really good audio editor and they're like, oh, but making a podcast, I have to make a podcast and I have to sell ads on it. And it's just going to be this huge ramp up. There are 10 million businesses out there who want to start a corporate podcast because they think it's part of their growth strategy or their marketing strategy. They will pay you anything to make their podcast. They'll pay you anything. My son, when he was 19, was being paid like $1,200 a week or something to make a 10-minute podcast for a healthcare company. Like, you can make a lot of money making podcasts for businesses. I guess what I'm saying is it's not just one thing anymore. And it's something that I think that people starting out should know about. So in recent years, we have seen some successful writers, like big names, who had made it a habit of writing a book on a certain schedule, instead spending the time they used to spend on writing books, making podcasts. To be specific, I'm thinking of people like Malcolm Gladwell, John McWalter. And it makes me think that they found podcasts more profitable, or at least a better use of their time in some other way, maybe easier. Have you shifted away from writing true crime toward podcasting, at least in terms of how much time you devote to it? Yes, <laughs> because <laughs> because it's way more profitable. So I look at someone like Malcolm Gladwell, right? So he 
probably signed like seven figure book deals, right? So mm-hmm. think about what he can do now. He probably signed a seven figure deal just to establish his network. Like somebody paid him to his network is probably part of an entity or if it's not, it's his own thing, but he has deals associated with it. Mm-hmm. Every single show under his network is a revenue generating show in and of itself. Probably every single one or most of those shows or many of them have IP deals associated with them that came with big checks or will return revenue at some point. Like I said before, there are many ways to make money in podcasting. A single show can generate five revenue streams. So like just like the triple, quadruple dipping situation that's possible with a podcast network like Malcolm Gladwell has. And also think about it. The next book he writes, imagine the deal he'll be able to get because he has the podcast network. He's opened up his audience to a whole new generation slash pool of people who have no idea who he is except for his appearance in that Macklemore song, right? So it's a, a smart move and I don't blame him and I completely get it. Kevin and I, he's written a couple of like local magazine pieces for fun, but we haven't even vaguely discussed trying to tackle another book since we started doing this. It's a tremendous amount of work. I mean, especially in our genre, like unless you are Anne Rule or somebody like a brand name, especially in true crime, true Mm -hmm. crime is huge in TV and audio. It is not huge in print. You'd be amazed how not huge it is. You get like a $10,000 advance basically. And then you do like your year of work of reporting. I mean, it's just journalism. It's not like creative writing. You do your year of reporting. You have to go through legal. You don't even get to name your own book. You do all that stuff. Then you got to get the hate mail for like six months from everyone who thinks that you didn't tell the truth or whatever. And then you get tiny little mailbox checks for five or six years or whatever. It's like four cents an hour when it's all said and done. (laughs) Yes, in the great scheme of things. Okay, so I think the one thing that has become very clear in this time that we've had together is that you are incredibly productive. Do you have any productivity tips? Well, (laughs) if you're me, I live under the constant fear of all the details that I'm forgetting because I am not a details person and I am always forgetting details. So I think it's really important to be completely radically honest about the shit you're not good at. Like, radically honest and know that it does not make you look weak or in any way deficient to say to a team of people around you or someone reporting to you or someone you're hiring, I am bad at this. I'm going to forget this. And you cannot hesitate to remind me that I owe you something to re-email me something that I haven't responded to. I, I think radical honesty about what you're not good at is important for one. Two, I do not in any way, and maybe this is my ADHD brain working, think more than like three days out. I look at my calendar. What, what do I have to do today? What do I have to do tomorrow? What do I have to do the following day? That's it. Rebecca, one of the things that's become clear is that this notion of day job, post-day job, I mean, when you're doing so much work after your day job, I mean, literally, how do you divide up your hours in order to get things done and still have a life? So my trick, A, is to make sure there is built in zero work time, like zero. So 
I have one what I call sacred week a year that's built in that's in the summer. And then I have a couple of like, you know, if we take a vacation couple here and there, I have a sacred night of the week, which is Monday nights. Uh, I don't know why it's Monday. It just is usually because I have to work on Sundays getting like both crime writers on together. That's also when I do undisclosed. So Monday is like, I don't even want to have a conversation about it. And then a lot of it is feeling comfortable thinking about the things I am doing for both jobs at any time of day. One thing that I have a huge advantage in is that my two jobs benefit each other tremendously. I think I am not saying something my employer would disagree with to say that my company has benefited tremendously from my success in the podcast base, from my industry connections, my understanding of the ad business, my understanding of the membership models that exist outside of public radio, even my technical expertise. Like tonight is having someone else work in the building besides an engineer or a producer who knows how to like come in and run the board. So I am probably somebody with a little bit more latitude to say, I don't know, go to a conference both for NHPR and for myself personally. That's something that I have never felt uncomfortable just saying to my job, like, that's what I'm doing. That being said, there are days, like today is a great example. I had to wake up at 5.30 this morning to pitch my public radio station's fun drive from 7 to 10, and I'm recording Crime Writers Tonight from 8 to 10. So today is going to be a 12-hour day. That's... Part of the deal. But also, this is going to be a really good year for us financially. So I just I think about that. I, I keep that in my mind when I'm tired. I'm like three kids in college, three kids in college. Like that's definitely a mantra that helps me power through the days. Also, the one thing I will say is I, I'm very committed to also trickling this down with a team that reports to me at work. If you are at work during the day, and I hope you guys have bosses like this, and if you don't have a meeting, and if you don't have something pressing to do right now, it is okay to not work for that hour. It is okay. It is just okay to stop, go for a walk, chill. It really helps you pace. Rebecca, thank you so much. This was really fascinating. I I really appreciate your sharing all these insights with us. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
June, it is not surprising that this interview was so forthcoming and delightful because, of course, it would be, given you as the interviewer oh. and Rebecca as the guest. But I always appreciate Rebecca's honesty when people ask her about her life and work because it takes a truly staggering amount of work to do what she does, including having a husband who is devoted full time to their business and outsourcing as much as they can to other professionals in the industry. It's a really good reminder that, as we like to talk about on this show, creating the life that allows you to do your work is itself a creative practice. Yes, yes. A thousand times yes. So right now I'm reading Oliver Berkman's book, 4,000 Hours, in part because Oliver's going to be a guest on the show next month. And that book has me thinking a lot about having to make choices about what we do with our finite time on Earth. And obviously, that's something that comes up a lot on working. When people ask how they can make time to say right, we'll say, well, what do you want to give up? Because you have to be very clear-eyed about your priorities. And Rebecca is the very definition of that kind of intentional living. But on top of that, the thing that impresses me most is that she clearly has a blast doing what she does, which is essential because her creative pursuits are all very active. There's none of this like passive income stream stuff. When she's hosting podcasts, giving editorial feedback, these are all things that require her to be very present and intensely on when she's doing them. So if she were phoning it in, it would be very obvious, I think. And she most definitely is not. She seems like she's having a lot of fun. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that you have to figure out as part of all that creativity is how are you going to keep the lights on? How are you going to keep your three kids in college? Yes. How are you going to make money? You and I are in two very different positions here. You're a staff member at Slate, whereas I'm a freelancer who has, you know, like the usual freelancer thing of a network of six different jobs or whatever. <laughs> and it seems like Rebecca's actually kind of doing both, right? She has a full-time staff job and six freelancing jobs. I'll admit there are times when I get very grass is greener about the staff writer or staff podcaster life. Like it'd be nice to know what I'm going to do each day when I wake up in the morning and to have one thing that I really focus on, even if that job has a lot of different components and have an office with coworkers or, <laughs> you know, health insurance in case my wife leaves her current job. Do you ever feel a similar grass is greener thing about freelancing? First, Isaac, there's one key difference between us that I have to mention, which is I know you would love to work in an office with co-workers. And I have to say, I absolutely adore my Slate co-workers, but I am a hermit by nature. So this kind of one step removed virtual world of the pandemic. Oh, my God, it's my dream. But I know you would love to like be you'd be a real office guy, wouldn't you? <laughs> Not in an obnoxious way. No. It would be, you know, the guy over there being like, hey, so did you watch uh, what we do in the shadows <laughs> last night? What'd you think? Isaac, Isaac, uh, Isaac Butler, the butlinator. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah, that yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. yeah, no, but I think you put your finger on it when you said the grass is always greener. I was a freelancer for five or six years and I loved the freedom that it provided. You know, I got to do some crazy stories. I wrote about a walrus safari in Alaska and and some really important stories, like a piece about expanding the dental workforce. But even in the age of Obamacare, buying your own health insurance and the precarity of wondering if the editor you've built up a good relationship with will move to another magazine and you'll lose a big income source, it's incredibly unsettling. And this is not a political show, but good grief, the healthcare system in this country stifles a huge amount of creativity. We've talked about 
the freedom to fail before, but needing to hold on to your health coverage, especially if you have kids or you're a single parent, it just keeps so much writing and music and art from ever being made. I mean, that's absolutely true. You know, I, I there's a lot, uh, both in terms of music and in theater, that comes out of the UK in the 70s and yeah. early 80s that I'm a, you know, just a huge fan of that's been hugely influential on me. And reading up on those artists, it's like the thing they all had in common was they were on the dole for long stretches of time, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, they, they would make a show, they would make a play, and then they would go on welfare for six months or whatever to make the next one. And uh, yeah, not having anything like that, I absolutely agree, has, has limited the options of the kind of art that gets made. I was nodding my head like that uh, gif of Jack Nicholson (laughs) that people are fans of when Rebecca talked about needing to be radically honest about what you're not good at and what you don't know how to do and that that won't make you look weak. But I wasn't nodding because that's something I'm good at. I was actually nodding because I am terrible at admitting that stuff. It's a thing that I work on about myself all the time. Like in my 20s, I was incapable of asking for help about anything. Today I can, but it's still hard for me to admit I don't know stuff. Is this something you struggle with? I suffer from a parallel problem, which is that I hardly ever give up any responsibilities, no matter how silly it is for me to keep doing it. And it's not because I'm unable to delegate. If I truly detest something, I'll find a way to offload it. It's because I don't really know, but I'm one of those people who, whatever their actual job is, they always have one or two random things they do every week just because. And actually, I think it goes back to an earlier question you asked. It's because I want to have a lot of variety in my day-to-day work life, but I think I really should ask for help with it. Maybe so. Maybe so. June, you and I have both been guests on These Are Their Stories. And I know we've both guested on other unscripted podcasts. And Rebecca and Kevin are just really great at what they do in a way that makes it very easy to be a good guest. I was wondering, what do you think it is that makes for a good guest experience on a podcast like that? Like, what is it that they do? Because that really is a skill. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I think that like a lot of podcasting, the work that goes into it is hidden or it should be like a good conversational podcast should sound like the people went into a room and they just started talking and that what people are hearing is just a raw conversation. And we know that a ton of work goes into even the most casual sounding professional podcast on the host side, ton of prep, reading, watching, thinking of some good jokes. And on the producer side, endless wrangling and very precise, like micro editing. But the goal is to make it sound natural and fresh. And great hosts like Rebecca and Kevin, they put in that work. Kevin is very clear with the guests about what they'll be talking about, what's expected of them. And he's also really generous. If you've got something funny to say, he'll always make a place for it. But the guest also has to put in the work. You need to watch the show you're talking about or read the poems over and over. Can you tell I've been on a poem podcast or whatever? (laughs) And you need to know the show you're going on. I am always shocked when people turn up to record a podcast never having listened to an episode. Do not do that. For one thing, it's rude, but also you'll seem like an idiot. What do you think? 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, there's a there's a whole variety of different things out there. There's sort of the, I, I guess you call it like a panel podcast, mm. right? Which is what these are their stories sort of feels like, as opposed to like an interview podcast. You know, if one of our guests yes. shows up on Working and has never heard our show, that's totally fine because yeah. we're interviewing them. We're interested in their work. And often at the start of our interviews here, I'll say, I'll remind them, I was like, hey, this is a show about the creative process and about craft. And so that's most of what the questions are you're going to get, just so you know. Also, we're not live and you can swear, you know, those, <laughs> yes, you know, those, yes. you're know, like you give them like a little brief just to remind them. But yeah, I totally agree. You know, creating that environment where a guest feels like they can do their best work yeah. is really essential. And part of that really is about setting expectations for them of kind of what their job is and jobs in quotes, guests usually don't get paid, (laughs) but you know, so when I did their podcast, you know, I chose the episode we were talking about. We all rewatched it. You know, we had a brief conversation beforehand about stuff we might want to highlight. And we, we went in and, and it's actually the structure that gives you the freedom to play. And that's what I think brings out a lot of guests at their best is that they have that freedom to play and they're having fun. Yeah, it was really interesting to hear Rebecca talk about the junk drawer that they have, you know, that they love to put in those little stings and the little songs, which I absolutely love. But you're right. That gives it structure. When you go in there, you know, like you're looking for those people that look like they are someone, that they were in other things. You know, who's that guy? Who's that girl? Yeah. The more structure there is, the more freedom you have to have fun because you got to have fun. As you say, the reason you're doing it is because you think it's going to be fun to hang out with these people and to, you know, bask in the glory of this great podcast. So it's got to be fun. Yeah. Can I pull back the curtain a little bit on on this show? Ooh. You know, we have the middle section of this show where we do the business and there's an ad and we say, we'll be right back after this. The initial episodes of Working actually don't have that. If you're an avid listener and you go back to the beginning of our run on, on Working, the first couple months does not have that. And we actually had a meeting with other podcast folks at Slate where they said it just needs something that gives it more it was Barry Lamb from a high nation <laughs> yes. said, you just need to do something that gives it a structure or else the listener starts to feel anxious because they just have no idea where it's going or how long they're going to be listening to it. Yeah. And that was actually really huge. Just putting that thing in the middle shapes the interview. It shapes the whole experience you have of the show, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And since you mentioned Barry Lamb, high nation is back for season five. The first four episodes have really blown my mind. It's kind of a portrait of this philosopher, David Lewis, who I had never heard of before. I'm now fascinated. I'm now like seeing parallel worlds everywhere. People got to listen to High Nation, and Barry will tell you where you're going and he'll, he'll take you there. Yeah, Barry's amazing and High Nation is incredible. We hope you enjoy this show. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Maybe you think we're amazing and incredible. If you do, remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Then you'll never miss an episode. And now I'm just going to remind you really briefly, it's our 25th anniversary. If you sign up for Slate Plus before Halloween, you get $25 off your annual Slate membership. And you can do that at slate.com slash working plus. Thank you to Rebecca Lavoy for being our guest this week and enormous thanks to our stellar producer Cameron Drews and our guest producer this week, the great Jessamine Molly. We'll be back next week with a spooky Halloween conversation between Isaac Butler and makeup artist Leslie Siebert. Until then, get back to work.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.